Thank you, Jess, and thank you, Bruce, for reading so wonderfully. Uh, I feel like I should preach my sermon from down there because everyone sits so far back here. So the Lord commands next week to fill from the front, and uh, it'd be nice to have you up the front here. Uh, it's great to get stuck into Deuteronomy again, chapters 5 and chapter 6. I'm going to start with this question. What is the most important thing God wants from you? I asked my children. Tommy quickly, my eldest, Tommy quickly and confidently responded, God wants us to tell others about him so they can believe in him. I thought to myself, what a good missions pastor I am, you know, teaching a child like that. But actually, Tommy, you're wrong. So I asked George. George said, to love him. Nailed it. That is the first and most important thing God wants from you, that you would love him. We've called the series of the book of Deuteronomy, The God of the Ages. It's there on the front. And the God of the Ages has always, always wanted your heart. Before and above anything else, he wants you to love him. The Bible tells us that God created us so that he could love us, and he wants us to love him in response. But the history of humanity, the history of the Bible, is just story after story of us falling out of love from God. But God keeps coming back, keeps inviting us back, keeps commanding us, compelling us, convicting us to come to him and give him our hearts. While some people, uh, experts in Jewish Old Testament law, people who really knew Deuteronomy, came to Jesus one day. And they said to Jesus, Jesus, of all the commands, which is the most important? Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 6. It's up on the screen. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus summed up the whole Old Testament, all this, all 613 different laws that God had given his people, and even the Ten Commandments, so well known around our world, in just one simple command, love. Love God and love others as yourself. So what is the most important thing the God of the ages wants from you? He wants your love. That's our big idea today, that being those who have been chosen by God, we would choose love. Choose to love God the way he commands, the way he wants to be loved. So we're going to explore what God's love language is and discover how to live the kind of lives that please God, that bless him, that bless us, and that bless those around us. Well, as Nick gave us a, a tiny bit of context uh, before, just, just making sure that we're situated in the right place and we know where we're at. If you're, if you're new to us at church this week, we're in this book of Deuteronomy, a 3,500-year-old book written by Moses. Uh, written, in, uh, in, uh, written by Moses to addressing the people of God, the nation of Israel. Uh, last week, Nick dealt with four chapters this week. We're only dealing with two, so it's going to be much easier. And, uh, and just some highlights to, to recap for where we're up to. Moses has led God's people out of Egypt. You know the parting of the Red Sea? Moses led them through the Red Sea into the mountain range in the wilderness called Horeb, to a mountain called Mount Sinai where God physically manifests himself. He appeared in, a, in, in cloud and smoke and fire, and he verbally spoke 
life-giving commands to his people. He spoke the Ten Commandments. They heard the voice of God. But God knows that, uh, that, that we're pretty quick to forget and uh, that if we don't write things down, we, we might forget them. So he wrote them down on two stone tablets and gave them to Moses. Moses then led God's people up to the edge of the promised land, but they failed to trust him. And so because they rejected him, God rejected them, and that whole generation perished in the wilderness over a period of 38 years. They're back on the edge of the promised land, ready to go in, and Deuteronomy is Moses' last words to God's people. It's three speeches, and this week we're launching into that second and and the biggest speech of, of Moses to God's people, from chapters 5 through to 26, and no surprises, it starts with a command to love. Well, let's begin with our first point, the command to love. When you truly love someone, you want to love them the way they want to be loved. So if I choose to love my wife by having a date of pizza and beers on the couch and watching the Friday night footy, that is not love. That's self-love. I want to love my wife the way that she responds or or receives love. And the same is true with God. When God says the way he wants to be loved by us, he says the way you can show me your love is by obeying my commands. Now that probably sounds a bit counterintuitive to us because when we think about love and obedience, we think maybe they're sort of diametrically opposed. You know, love just bursts out of our heart and obedience is like a bending of your will and mind to do what you don't really want to do. But listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said this to his disciples. He said, if you love me, then keep my commands. Love and obedience are like two sides of the one coin, two sides of one heart that's devoted to God. It's important to keep in mind that the nation of Israel and God had entered into a covenanted relationship. I guess the the most modern equivalent we have of covenant relationships like this is a marriage covenant, where two people who love one another come together and formally uh, formally unite with one another in a way that, that outlines the nature of this new relationship and the code of conduct, the way that the two parties are going to behave towards each other. The covenant uh, that God entered into with his people is outlined in Deuteronomy. And in it, God has said, this is how you are going to relate to me because this is how I have already related to you and loved you. Well, God tells us along the way that uh, he, as a loving God, is jealous for the love of his people. So I hope you got your Bible open, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 14, page 155, I think. And God says these words, verse 14, Do not follow other gods, the gods of the people around you, for the Lord your God who is among you is a jealous God. And we know that to be true of true love, that no spouse would accept their love being turned away to another. That that true love is jealous for the love of a partner. And the same is very true with God. He is jealous For our love, he will not tolerate love being turned aside to others. But the marriage analogy breaks down in verse 15. If you keep reading there, he says that if you turn away to other gods, verse 15, 
Well, then the Lord your God will destroy you from the face of the land. We kind of think, oh no, abusive husband alert, terrible. But God is very different to us. Uh, Remember that just because God acts like a husband, he is still and always and first and foremost our creator, our God, and our life giver. So he is very different and it is absolutely right that he commands us to love him. So let's look at at his commands and uh, they're, they're most beautifully summed up in the command that we love him. So chapter 6, verse 4, is a part of Scripture known in the Jewish religion as the Shema, uh, known for the first word in Hebrew, Shema, which is here. Uh, this, this, these words in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, are widely accepted to be the command of God at the very heart of Old Testament faith. Still to this day, Jewish people will pray the Shema twice daily. So I thought what we could do is just read these words that have been prayed by the people of God for thousands of years. Let's read verses 4 and 5 of Deuteronomy chapter 6 together. Let's read the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Isn't it lovely that of all the things God could have commanded us to do as our creator, the first thing he commanded us to do is to love him. Now, Christians can uh, spill all sorts of ink and have all sorts of long-winded discussions about what it means to love God with our heart, what it might mean to love him with our soul, what it might mean to love him with our strength. But as we do that, we lose the big point of this, and that is the word all. We're to love God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength. God is commanding us to love him with wholehearted, whole of life, all of, all of our plans, all of our priorities, everything we are kind of love. That's the sort of love God wants from us. And then he says it's a love that you're to pass on to the next generation. Take a look at chapter 6, verse 7. It literally says, Repeat diligently these commands to your sons and daughters. Or impress these commands on your children, as it reads to us here. The reality is, we're pretty good at passing on the things we love to our children. So if your family loves cooking, you talk about cooking, you buy books about cooking, you watch MasterChef, you, you, you hold a family daily event around food at the, at the dinner table, and you celebrate that wonder of good food. If your family, if, if the parents are into cars, well, then they buy a nice car, they point out nice cars on the road, they watch cars racing on the weekend. We're very good at passing on the things that we love. God says the most important thing to pass on to your children is to pass on your love of me in obedience to my commands. Well, throughout history, the people of God have always declared that the primary, uh, that, that parents are the primary disciple-makers of their children. It's not the responsibility of the Sunday schools or the scripture teachers or the youth group. No, parents are primarily and chiefly responsible for discipling their children to love God. Parents are to love him and pass that love on to their children. So here's how they're to do it. Chapter 6, verse 7. 
Impress these commands upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. So a lot of Christian families that I know prioritize gathering together as a family around the dinner table because it's at that dinner table that you can have discussions about what it means for you to love God and live for him. Around that table, families can gather and particularly fathers can lead the family in devotions, Bible devotions, reading God's scriptures, talking about what it means to follow his ways, answering questions from the children. In these uh, days of modern, flexible working arrangements, what a great time of life to to say to the boss or say to your workplace, I'm going to make sure that I'm at home when the family gathers together around the dinner table. You might log back on after, after that and keep going, but I think it's so important that we take that primary responsibility. Uh, Deuteronomy carries on. We're to talk about God's words when we walk along the road, when we lie down, and when we get up. I intentionally choose to read my Bible in the morning at the, dinner t- at the dining room table so that when the kids get out of bed, they come and they find Dad reading God's Word first thing in the morning. When I kiss the kids goodnight, uh, I, I pray a little prayer with them. Little ways that we can have God's Word on our mind and in our hearts morning and night. It carries on. Tie these words as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. You know when you've got something you really have to remember? So you write it on your hand. Don't forget to pick the kids up at 5 p.m. Everything you do that day, you're reminded, don't forget to pick the kids up. That's what God has in mind here. God's words are just there wherever they keep coming to your mind, wherever you keep being reminded of them. They're front of mind. They're, they're, they're noticeable all around you. It continues, verse 9, he says, Write these words on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I wonder if you've ever been to a Jewish home where you'll find a little box on the door frame. Maybe as you enter the house, if they're very um, religious, they'll have those little boxes on every door frame in the house. They're called a mezuzah, and within them is a little scroll with a prayer from the Scriptures. They're taking this very literally, to have God's Word around the house. I've been greatly encouraged when I go to Christian homes and I find parts of Scripture in picture frames around the house, or little Bible verses on fridge magnets, or memory verses on the back of the toilet door, little ways that families remind their household that this is a family that worships God and loves him. Well, the big idea is that you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and you're going to find all sorts of different numbers and different ways, many that might just be unique to you, to pass that love on the next generation. That brings us to our next point, our second point, the complication with love. The problem with this is, is that we keep stuffing it up, don't we? We personally keep failing to love God with our whole heart and everything, but also we then pass that failure on to the next generation, to our children, and the generations before us have passed their failures on to us. There were two words that came up in our reading that Bruce and Jess read to us before, very little words, but very significant. The words, so that. God says so many times, obey my commands, follow me, love me, so that. 
I'm going to read through some things. You might want to come with me to see all the the good things God wanted to give his people if they just loved him and obeyed him. Chapter 5, verse 16, so that you may live long in the land. Chapter 5, verse 29, so that it might go well with you and your children forever. Chapter 5, 33, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land. Chapter 6, verse uh, verse 2, end of verse 2, so that you may enjoy long life. Chapter 6, 3, so that it may go well with you and you may increase greatly. Chapter 6, verse 24, so that you might always prosper and be kept alive. When God commands us to love him and to obey him, it's so that he can bless you. He can lead you into a good life. And that he can, he can provide you with his good gifts for you, shower you with blessings. But if you know Israel's story, you know that they didn't keep loving God. They didn't live long, prosperous lives in the land. In fact, because they rejected God, God rejected them and he kicked them out of the land. Israel failed dismally to love God with their whole heart. But where Israel failed... God's son, Jesus, the perfect Israelite, he never failed. He always loved God with all of his heart. He always loved others in every act that he did. Jesus got it right. And it was Jesus who said, I've come to establish a new covenant with the people of God. He said the first covenant was a covenant written on stone tablets, those stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, symbolic for the stone-hard-heartedness of God's people who kept failing to love God. He said, no, the new covenant is going to be written on hearts, human hearts. I'm going to write my law and my word on your hearts. I'm going to do that by giving you my Holy Spirit who's going to come in, live inside of you, and incline your heart and your will to obey me, to love me, and to want to do the things that I've said. Well, this is where we stand, on the other side of Jesus' cross, where the failings of all God's people, past, present, and future, were poured out onto Jesus, and he took them to his death, and he took them away from us. And so now we are new covenant believers, with God's word written on our hearts, God's spirit inclining us to do what pleases God. We stand as people forgiven, restored, redeemed, and empowered to love God. But it might shock you to think, well, what's our response? What's our our right attitude towards Deuteronomy, towards all these laws here? Well, it might surprise you to find out that as new covenant believers, none of the laws of Deuteronomy directly apply to us. We are not bound by the, the laws of the religious laws. We're not bound by the food laws. And the land laws will not apply to us. Dare I say, even the Ten Commandments do not bind us. We're not bound by these commandments of this covenant because we're not going to receive their blessings if we keep them or their curses if we don't. But these commands now function for us like wisdom. They're wisdom that show us the good way to live in God's world. The way to live the kinds of lives that God loves to bless and that God loves to to lead into good, long life. 
These commands also function for us because they were given by the God of the ages. So what they do, they reveal the heart of your God. And so as you think, well, how do I lead a life that pleases my God? Well, these commands show you the way to his heart. They show you what he's like and they show you how to please him. So let's go to our third point, the command, commandments of love. We're going to now go backwards to chapter 5 and we're going to think about the Ten Commandments, those world-famous commandments. These are commandments upon which the morality of most Western democratic societies have been built and established. And we're going to see how uh, these words in chapter 5 teach us how we can choose to love God and love others. So chapter 5, starting from verse 6, we have these Ten Commandments. The first and most important thing to point out is that the Ten Commandments were never just a list of rules. They always started with this declaration of God's love and choice of his people. Take a look at verse 6. God says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God says, I've chosen you. You're my own. You're my people. I've loved you. So this is how you can love me back. You may know that the Ten Commandments split quite neatly into commandments versus uh, commandments 1 to 4 are about how we love God and commandments 5 to 10 are about how we love our neighbours. So let's have a look at commandment 1, verse 7. You shall have no other gods before me. Exclusive allegiance. Remember that God said before, God wants all, all of your heart, all of your soul. Uh, Karen, maybe you go back one. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll leave the golden calf in a moment. No, not that one either. <laughs> all of our hearts, all of our souls. But exclusive love of God doesn't mean that we've got no more love to give to anyone else. It just means that our loves are in the right place. So I still love lots of things. I love the autumn weather. It's beautiful at the moment. I love hot cross buns. They just keep turning up on the shopping on the shop uh, shelves. I love Manchester City. Great football club. Had a big win this week. I love my wife. I love all these things, but I love them in the right place, and none of them have the right to be God over me. And so we keep our loves in the right order. Commandment number two, verse eight. You shall not make for yourself an image, no idols, said God. When we read of this command, no idols, Karen, now's the time to pull up the golden calf. We think of this kind of stuff, don't we? But God thinks of these idols. Next, next slide, Karen. These are the idols of our modern Western era. Surprised that Donald Trump's head is up there. I don't know who is worshipping Donald Trump. But, uh, but these are the kinds of things that we chase after. And we look to worship as our God. Well, God says you are, to have no, you are to worship nothing else but me. God is jealous for our love. And so he says, I will punish. I will punish those who run after such idols. And, and, and he still does today. To this day, my experience, God's punishment for those who run after things that are not God or make idols of things that are not meant to be God has just looked like people getting the only thing that these kind of Western idols can deliver. Emptiness, dissatisfaction, and angst. Commandment number three. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Most people's language these days, I find, is 
deteriorating. Uh, it's becoming increasingly atrocious. Swear words are just broadly accepted. But I, I don't really make any fuss when people use bad language around me, except when they use my God's name as a swear word. You know, I think if a Muslim person is going to want to take someone's life if they use Muhammad's name as a curse, the least I can do is endure a bit of social awkwardness for people who think Jesus' name is a swear word. But, but even worse than that, I would say that there are Christian people who use God's name in the wrong way, who say there's OMG comments. Friends, God says that we must honour his name. That matters to him, so do it. Commandment number four, observe the Sabbath. I know many people who are good at resting, but I don't know many people who are good at resting in God. Verse 7 tells us that the Sabbath is to be, uh, sorry, not verse 7, uh, verse 12, no, 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 wait, uh, verse 14, is that the, 13, the Sabbath is to be a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Yeah, there it is, verse 14. A Sabbath to the Lord your God. And we live in a society that is increasingly just working around the clock. But look how much, look how much, Word count. Look how much space God gives to this command about resting. Uh, it, it, in my Bible, it, it almost looks the same size as all the other nine commandments put together. I think it's because God knows that what we do with our time, what we do with our priorities, with our bodies, with our minds, that shapes the kind of people we become. It shapes the hearts that we have. And he knows that we need to rest and we need to worship, and we need to have time that we can just be still and spend with him. When people tell me that they work seven days a week, I remind them not even God does that. It's important to rest. It's important to rest in the Lord. Well, you'll be pleased to know that I'm not going to keep walking through every command, except to say that commandments 5 to 10 about loving our neighbours as ourselves, these are not commands that Jesus toned down, Actually, we find that in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus dialed them up. So the commandment, do not murder, chapter verse 17, Jesus said, don't even hate your brother or sister. The commandment, do not commit adultery, Jesus said, a man who looks lustfully at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus turned up these commands to show us what it looks like to love our neighbours as ourselves. God's commands are always good. These may not directly apply to us, but they reveal his heart. They reveal the way to live a good life, a life that pleases God and a life that God longs to bless and loves to bless. Well, what's the most important thing God wants from you? The God of the ages, he wants your heart. Let me conclude by telling you uh, about Lenka's story. Lenka is a member of this 10 a.m. congregation, uh, and she, she's been coming just for the last year. Uh, Lenka walked for, in a, in a self-professed, 30 years of spiritual wandering in a desert of New Ageism and, self, uh, and self-help books and mantras. But then when COVID struck, she fell upon difficult times, and she actually discovered Jesus Christ the one that her heart had been made for, the one she'd been looking for all of her life. And she discovered in Jesus the fulfilment and the peace 
that she couldn't find from all the meditation that she'd been doing. She found in Jesus the purpose and the direction for her life that no self-help guru could ever offer her. And she's just pouring into the scriptures. She's devouring God's word. She's reading it morning after morning. She's listening to old sermons from our church. And as she has God's word start to shape her heart, she's beginning to make tough choices. So she got rid of her old crystals. She got rid of the old self-help books that were misleading her away from the God that she'd been made to love. She ended a relationship that, was, that she knew wasn't pleasing to God. She's made big choices because she knows the God who has chosen to love her. And she wants to choose to love him in response. Uh, last week, we baptised Lenka down in the harbour. Uh, it was a beautiful day. She shared her testimony. It's the most wonderful story of the way that when someone discovers that they've been chosen by God, that they choose to love him in response. So friends, this week, as you serve God and as you love him and live in his world, let Lenka's story be an encouragement to you that God has chosen you, so choose to love him. Choose to love him back the way he commands to be loved. Let me close in prayer. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen us to be your own. Thank you that you have given Jesus to cover over all our failings and that we have your law, your words written on our hearts. God, we pray that you would incline our hearts and wills to want to please and obey you, to want to walk in your life-giving commands and lead the kind of lives that please you and are a blessing to you, that are good for us and a blessing to us, and that serve and love our neighbours and bless those around us. Lord God, we pray this for your glory, for your honour, for the renown that you deserve. For you are good, you are our God, and we love you. Amen.